Welcome to another episode of Cultivating Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the fascinating world of innovation and visionary leadership who together are shaping the future of our planet. I'm your host, Claire Nazir, and today we have a remarkable guest who is truly changing the game in ag tech. Picture this, an insightful, talented CEO who is driving an AI-based machine learning revolution in agricultural biologicals. His company are rapidly scaling products to market at a record-breaking pace. Now, if that doesn't pique your curiosity, I don't know what will. I was privileged to sit down with Amit Noam, the CEO of Lavi Bio. Amit's journey is nothing short of inspiring. He's also an aspirational leader whose team are harnessing the power of cutting-edge technology to address some of the most pressing challenges in agriculture. So, whether you're a seasoned grower looking for the latest innovations to boost your yields, or someone simply curious about the intersection of AI, agriculture and sustainability, this episode promises to be a captivating exploration into the future of farming. Ag biologicals are central to growing clean and nutritious food. These naturally derived products protect crops and secure future yields whilst maintaining soil health. CEO Amit Noam begins our conversation by discussing the three key macro trends that make AgBios an important and exciting space to be working in right now. AgBiologicals is currently summer of 2023 at an inflection point where you see all these macro trends converging together in order to drive this market forward. You see on one side, you're everything related to sustainability, regulatory demands, consumer demands that are driving this entire industry to be much more use of biologicals, much less use of synthetic solutions. And that's on one side. So the demand is going up and it's it's becoming from a nice to have a products to necessity. We need to be able to replace a lot of the synthetic solutions with biological solutions. On the other side, you see all these huge companies like the Syngenta, Cortevas, buyers of this world, investing a lot of money into this space, which didn't happen in, in the past. They understand that in the future, this will be a significant part of their business. If today, it's less than 5% of this total $200 billion ag inputs market. We, I expect it to become 20, 30, and even more than that percent of the market. And that's huge growth. So that's the second aspect. So all of this investments by a lot of these large companies. And I think the third thing, which is very, very interesting, you see technologies like AI and machine learning coming to a point when you combine them with scientific capabilities and drug drug uh, identification on the pharma side and product identification, microbe identification on the agriculture side, which really is supposed to drive this, uh, this industry forward. And when you look at all that together, I think this is the sexiest space to be in the agriculture world because it's going to explode in the next few years. We don't know if it will take five, seven, ten years, but 2040 will look totally different than how we are today. Are farmers embracing this transition as well? Are they the ones who are asking for these products? Or is this, they're going to be recipients of this change rather than drivers? So I think it's 
it started by consumer demands, by the regulator, by all these external factors that are that are driving this change and driving this industry to invest in change. But you see farmers are understanding that if they want to be able to their land to be viable in the next 20 years and to have sustainable soil and things like that. So you see them, many of them are driving this change and driving adoption. Today, the openness of farmers to actually use this technology is much more than in the past. Now, ag biologicals is not something new. It's been around for, for 20 years, but it didn't, we weren't able to bring as an industry good enough products that can actually be replacing the synthetic counterparts. So there's also some farmers that, that had some disappointments from this. So you need to regain their trust in these products. But you see them very, very willing to, to do that. And that's it's not only in ag biologicals. It's the ability to implement regenerative agriculture practices and other de- decarbonization and reducing carbon footprint. And they understand that it's their responsibility for to do to drive this change for the benefit of our society and environment in general. And those who are driving the change, do you think they're giving farmers enough support to be able to adopt these biologicals? Is part of the remit of delivering these new solutions something where you are also supporting the farmers at, at, at ground level? So I think the, it's a carrot and the stick question. And I think the industry tried the stick approach for, for a while, and that doesn't work. If you're, if you're not supporting the farms and you're not helping them uh, get the, the benefits they want, from, that they need, that enable them to get the better yields that they're looking for while doing this in a sustainable way, in a way that it's equally as profitable, if not more profitable than it is, it will be very, very difficult to, to convince them. And I think we gradually are seeing the industry moving more to a carrot approach. And we're part of a program where our first product that is currently launched in the market, it's a biostimulant for wheat. Actually, there's a sustainability program where the food and beverage company is willing to pay a premium for growers using our, our product. They subsidize our product by 30%. And then you start seeing this grower adoption. Because once you're able to, to work with the growers and understand that they're the they're in the in the front rows of adopting these technologies, but they need the support. It can, they cannot bear all the cost and all the investments in doing that. And the industry can support them. Then you'll really start seeing the change and the great adoption in this industry. And there are certain countries, governments, who are far more forward-thinking when it comes to supporting growers. I presume. Where is most of your business now? Are you are you delivering across many countries or is there particular regions of the world where it's easier to be able to sort of roll this out? So this is this all industry is driven by regulation and we're going to where regulation enables us to do. And one of the one of the funny things is even though the European Union is very progressive in their approach, in their farm to fork policy and all of that, their regulation is the toughest of all to, to go. And in many of the cases, 
you are able to launch in the US and only three, four years later, you'll be able to get regulatory approval in Europe. So Europe is currently a big challenge and hopefully that will change in the near future. But US and Canada are usually the, 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 the more uh, enabling uh, markets that you can go in. And we're currently, our first product is launched in the US, in Canada, which is the first two places that we're getting it. An interesting example is Brazil. In, in the past, it was very, very difficult to get regulatory approval in Brazil. And beginning of 2020, they did a reform in the regulation. And today, it's much easier to get biological products in Brazil. And that's moving the entire industry to go to Brazil. And that's, you know, that's the kind of change that we need to see in other places in the world if we want this to actually uh, go in the market in wide scale. That's Brilliant. Okay, so I can understand now where you're going with this. Let's just bring it back a little bit. How did you arrive as CEO of Lave Bio? Where do you come from? What's your background and what makes you the right person to drive this company to future success and scale? So I started my career as an entrepreneur. So I have an entrepreneurship background and I established companies already Twice, uh, twice in the past in different fields and fields of the of drones and digital health and areas like that. I also have a background in management consulting, so I was in Israel's leading management consulting firm for for a couple of years, and that gave me a bit of the business strategy capabilities. But I've been always driven uh, towards execution and being able to formulate strategies, build a go-to-market uh, strategies and plans, and then be very, very keen on the execution of this. And in the last five years, I, I entered the agriculture space, the agriculture technology space. I led a company called Agritask uh, for the past five years, where we grew the company from 10 employees to 100 employees. We raised over $40 million in the in this space. We updated the strategy and we launched this product, which is today selling in over 30 countries. And I think that enabled me to a couple of things. First of all, to be very familiar with the agriculture market, with all the different players, both on the technology side, on the demand side, on the food and beverage side, on the investor side, which I think is very critical to this role. But I think it also enabled me to understand the challenges, both on the R&D side and on the go-to-market side, and how do you balance these challenges in order to be able to build a successful business that is able to grow in a, in a correct way. And uh, I'm actually quite new in this, uh, in this position. And, uh, but I think as I started, this is the most interesting area of agriculture and in general, one of the most interesting markets uh, I think there are. There's the potential to do, to do tremendous impact on the world, on our environment, on the food we eat. And I think that that, that together, together with the amazing people that, are, that we have in the company, I think that's what drives me and gives me the passion to come every day and try to actually change the world. I mean, you're, you're based in Israel, which there's an incredible food tech hub just um, located where you are. And you're, you've arrived in this space at a prime time when it seems like there's a critical mass like a perfect storm of everything coming together, as you said, the, the three sort of macro trends. 
all that are equally as important, like a holy trinity, really, to to drive the 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 agenda forward in the best possible way. Let's now talk about your company and what they do, because I'm fascinated by your business model, because it feels like it's unique within the space. Viewbio doesn't develop a pro one product, and from that product is able to to go to the market and commercialize it in a way that the product might be very good, but it's not repeatable. We're all about building a machine, building an engine that will enable us to consistently bring new products to the market. Our goal is every two years to launch a new product to the market. Now, what this AI and machine learning and data, unique data that we have gives us, it actually gives us the ability to increase microbe selection predictability by 10x compared to the market. So if the market needs 200 microbes to find that one product and 200 microbes to do field trials and all of that, we can do it in a tenth of the, of the amount of microbes. And it enables us to really pinpoint the specific microbe that can eventually turn into a product. And what that gives us as a competitive advantage, one, it gives us much faster time to market. And second, we're able to bring a new product to the market at a fraction of the cost of any other competitor in the, in the market. And I think our strategy is we want to be the, the company that has this engine, has this machine that is able to consistently bring new products to the market, not based on how smart our, our researchers are, and they're smart, but we're not depending solely on that. It's the combination between the scientific capabilities and the technology, the AI, that enables to drive this in a repeatable way. Okay, so is your data, how far does it go back and where does it come from geographically? So we have, uh, we have two sources of this unique database that we have. One is our proprietary database that we have, been, we have sourced all over the world from different areas and different, uh, different species. The second is as part, one of our investors is Corteva Bioscience. And as part of their investment, they transferred the assets of a company they acquired, Taxon, to us. And we have a huge database of microbiomes that are sitting in our, in, in our database, that are sitting physically in our, in our freezers. And from that, that, ex that is able to feed the, the AI machine. And together with that, that enables us to actually find what we need and find the specific microbe that is able to solve the problem that we want. And that, when in order to be very efficient there, one of the things you need to do is you need to be able to really define very accurately what you're looking for. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? In which crop? Which diseases? In which area? And the more precise you're able to, to, to be and translate it into what are the functions that are needed from that specific microbe, the better the results you'll get from the from the AI that will tell you exactly these 10 microbes have the highest probability to actually become products in the market within the time frame of three to four years. So this is an efficient solution-based tool, which reduces obviously the amount of time to uh, develop uh, the product, but which saves a huge amount of money, which obviously means your overheads are, are much lower as well. And I, I would suggest, and I'm gonna ask you now, it can be specific to a species or a location or do, do 
Do growers come to you and say, this is our problem, solve it? How does it work? So one of the most interesting processes we do is the this decision on what is the next program we want to we, we want to start. Because as, as I said, it takes five or six years from when you start until you can bring a product to the market. So it's it's less a farmer comes to us and he says, I need this and we come to, to and we can bring it to him fast. But what we do is we analyze the market. We we try to tackle you know agriculture's toughest toughest problems. The the, the diseases or the pests that, that that create the, the the biggest damage and the biggest harm in the market the, the the areas or the crops that are most vulnerable for drought conditions and things like that yeah we're combining all this understanding climate change is affecting agriculture in a very very harsh way and once you're able to bring specific solutions to crops, under drought conditions, for example, and things like that, you're really able to improve the yield and environment and, you know, the, the amount of food that we'll have to feed the, the population in the future. So this process of understanding what is the next program we want to do is actually a fascinating process of, of understanding, you know, you need to go to on one side, you see a greening disease in, in citrus and you're looking at nitrogen fixation and you're looking at a biostimulant for, for cotton under drought conditions. And you need to decide what is the problem that is that on one side has the biggest impact, has the biggest financial, uh, financial upside. You, know, you have the capabilities to, to actually go to market with it. How is the market condition? So many factors in order to decide this is where we'll, we will invest our money in the next few years. So that's one side of your business and that's the, the products you're developing and getting approval for. But let's just go back to the flat platform that you're actually using here. And it's something I presume will be very attractive to, to other um, organizations in their search for their um, crop inputs and their biological solutions. Yeah, but as a, as a company, our focus is to be a product company. We look to develop products, bring products to the market, and being able, after we bring products to the market, there are actually two business models we work with. One is the direct model, like we do with our, with our first product in the market, where we go directly through local distributors and sell it in the market. The second model is the licensing model where we bring it until it's ready for productization and then we, we license it to one, of the, to one of the big players in the market. We are open to do research collaborations and we have some different research collaborations with some of the largest players in this market. But the idea is not to give development services, it is to co-develop products at the end of the day we want to bring the products to the market. We want to bring the product to a point where it's ready to, to go to the farmers and actually benefit the farmers while using it. Your business model, as you say, um, there are two aspects to it. Which one do you think is um, almost like the, the longer game? And the, which one do you feel like you're getting some traction with already? Or are they both working in tandem well? So I think the decision whether to go direct or whether to go in a, in a licensing model 
really depends on the specific market dynamics uh, of the different players. It, it depends on who the big distributors are and what is the market share of the uh, of the large companies. Because if a company has 40% market share, you'll probably get better traction and better adoption if you go with one of them. But if the market is more diverse and more uh, more scattered, then you, you might get better traction of going independently. So we're looking, our decision of whether to go direct or whether to go through a licensing model is really a product by product analysis of what's right for this product when you when you make the decision. And th- there, there's a trade-off between them because on one side, if you go directly, you leave it m- more margins within your company. The risk is of course bigger and the market share that you're able to to reach usually is a bit less than going with one of the huge players. When you go with the huge players, the risk is on them. The percent that you get from every sales is a bit lower, but you might be able to get to a much larger market share. So there's a trade-off that we need to, to decide market by market. And when we're talking about market by market, obviously scaling is a really key ingredient to be able to um, service the market. Tell me how the landscape is right now um, across the board for biologicals and where do you go next? You're based in Israel. Do you have um, other locations around the world? Is that the next step or is it investing in more data or computing power? What what is it? So great question. I'll I'll answer this in in a couple of ways. First of all, we have currently a subsidiary in the US with a commercial team and a research team in the US. And because of the regulation that will make us launch all our products initially probably in the US because of regulation issues. We, we intend to enlarge the team there and really put a lot of a lot of focus there. However, another two very interesting markets are of course Latin America and, uh, and Europe. Uh, Europe has its challenges in terms of regulation, but the upside in many of the, the products that we're doing is very, very significant and we'll need to, we'll need to, to go there. So currently, one of the one of the areas that we would like to invest more in is being able to grow our commercial footprint, our commercial, uh, our, our commercial investments towards the scale up of our products. The second area, as you said, is technology and pipeline. Technology, we believe we're at the cutting edge of the technology, but. As you know about AI and uh, ChatGPT and everything that's going on, it's moving forward. You need to continue to consistently invest in order to stay at the forefront of uh, of the technological evolution there. And it, we it comes also to the investment in the development of the technology, but also the development of the data sets. So all of this together uh, is an, another area of investment from our side. And the third area of investment is, of course, the pipeline. We we believe we're in a race. We need to move fast. We need to invest as much as we can in the pipeline in order to be able to consistently bring these products to the market. So we are we're currently actually going uh, soon to a fundraising round. That this fundraising round is expected to work on all of these three three aspects. And for that, we want to scale up in order to be able to really reach our full potential. What do you think the greatest challenge is for the sector right now or within the next five years? So I think the biggest challenge currently, the way I see it is 
think of a trade-off we currently have between being able to drive yield and what they call efficiency of these products to farmers. And on the other axis, you have the, the sustainability and doing this in a sustainable manner. Now you have the chemicals and the synthetic solutions that are currently very efficient, but not sustainable. And you have the ag biologicals that are sustainable, but not as efficient. The challenge is to break these trade-offs. If you're able to bring products to the market that are as efficient as the synthetic counterparts and sustainable, you want the, you want the game. That, that, that's what's needed in order to win the game. And I think that you know, when people ask me, who do I see as my competitors in the market? My competitors in the market are the synthetic solutions that are currently out there that I need to be as good as them. And, and I think every biological company needs to, to see it that way because we, we don't need to comp- I don't need to be better than the other biological company because if I'm still far away from, the, from what the effect that the chemicals are doing, I won't win the market. We need to bring good products to the market that will make it easy for the farmer to adopt because he's not losing yield, but he's doing it in a much more sustainable way, and then it's game over. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's. Ex- I mean, as you said earlier, it's such such an exciting time because there is so much movement and growth and potential in this industry. And you're at the forefront, as you say, you're at the cutting edge of the technology and big data and the machine learning which is associated with it is absolutely key for delivering the best results as efficiently as possible because everything is moving at such a pace now. Do you feel like you need to take a breath? You know, where do you see yourself as a leader in this field? Obviously, you're the CEO of this company and you are at the helm of a a business which is driving change. What are the qualities that a leader needs to be, to maintain that position and be so effective that it delivers the transition in the best possible way? So I think a couple of things and and being already in in the early stage companies and startups for, for, uh, for many years, I think the first one you need resilience. And you know, there's so many ups and downs and so many things that are happening that, are, that, that have the potential of bringing you down or taking you to highs if you don't have the resilience it takes in order to keep in control, understand that, you, you know, cope with the, with the bad news that comes every day and with the good news that, that comes every day and continue your path of driving things forward. I think that's, that, that's one very important thing. The second is I'm an optimist. And I, th- I think it's, it's important to be an optimist if you want to drive these businesses forward, that there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of uh, uncertainty about where you're going. And if you're able to see the clear path forward, get this to your people for them to understand that, you know, someone is giving them some clarity and some certainty in all this ambiguity. I think that's what's needed in order to drive everybody with you. And I think the third thing is you need to be able to make difficult decisions. I think that, you know, for a startup, one of the most important things, and, and this is a cliche, but it's true, is focus, focus, focus. And, and I think that you need to stay focused. And it's very, very easy to lose focus when you're a startup because there's so many 
temptations from all these different places. And if you're able to keep focus, learn how to say no to many of the things and many of the opportunities you have, because it's not in your clear path and being able to bring everybody to the same path and understand where we're going, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve and delegate for them to understand the purpose of why, why we're doing things so they can make a lot of the decisions by themselves. Then you're really able to, to leverage the capabilities of all the different parts of the organization into the purpose that you're trying to achieve. Tell me when it talks when you talk about the different parts of your organization, what other key skills need to be with you on this journey to almost just have a wholesome scaling process, which pretty much suggests uh, success or pretty much will inevitably lead to success. So, so I think it's the balance between R&D and commercial, because we have a very, very strong R&D. Most of our company today is R&D. And R&D, without understanding the commercial aspect, is can take you to totally the wrong directions and different directions that won't be connected. And the same with the commercial. If the commercial doesn't understand the challenges of the R&D or the time it takes to do things or the implications of changing things and they're not aligned, it will be very, very difficult to, to drive everybody because it, it will generate a lot of frustrations on each side. And I think that what, it, what I see in La Vie is the right balance between very, very strong R&D team, but very, very open to understand the commercial implications of everything they're doing and to analyze things in a commercial way and a commercial team that is not afraid to go back to the R&D, understands what's going there and be much more technical and much more scientific in their understanding than what you would usually expect from a commercial team. And I think this combination of this yin and yang between R&D and commercial is what enables to, to drive this forward. Is that what investors look for, would you say, one of the aspects of that? I think investors are looking, are, are trying to understand a couple of things. There are investors that are more, more focused on the sales, on the revenues, on the growth. There are investors that are more looking at the technology, at its ability to really do something repeatable, to, do, to, to scale it up. So I think these are the, you know, the areas and most investors are, sometime, are somewhere in the middle. And I think that the middle ground of understanding how this technology eventually can become a huge financial success. But on the other side, it's not a dream. It's already proven in the market. We have already one product in the market. We have a second product currently that is very, very close to be in the, in the market. We were able to prove that we were able to bring a product to the market within five years. I think this combination of understanding the technology, but the fact that it's actually proven and it's already you can see results in the in the market and it's not in the air. I think that is what is a, what, what is the right mix for investors. If you're able to implement a can do attitude across the organization, that is what what drives everything, because I think, you know, I've worked with people with a can do approach and people that are always finding the problems of why things can't be done. And if you want a startup that runs fast, that is able to achieve greatness, that is able to really do amazing things together, everybody needs to believe and everybody needs to start by the, 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 the sentence where, okay, we can do it, let's see now how we do it. 
I love that. It's that enabling the whole team and the culture to be part of it, part of the journey. So they feel like the heartbeat of their of the business is part of them as well. And that is so important. If, if you're able to bring a culture across the organization where every individual feels like they're the entrepreneur and it's their company, you're halfway there. Amit Noam, thank you very much. Thank you so much. My huge thanks to Amit Noam, CEO of Lavi Bio. And thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm Claire Nazir, and I'll be back soon with another Cultivating Conversation. Cultivating Conversations is a podcast produced by Chaseman Global, the global search specialist in life sciences.